The story of the three prodigals tells us that God's grace is greater than all our sins. You may feel that God doesn't care and you're a long way from home, but the Father is looking down the road, waiting for you. Today's topic, Grace Abounding and the Three Prodigals, will warm your heart and put a smile on your face. I'm so glad to see you today because this is a terrific topic. I'm going to talk today about grace abounding and uh, the three prodigals. Now, we all know about the prodigal son, but today we're going to talk about the three prodigals when we talk about grace abounding. Would you come in your Bible to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, please? In the Word of God to Romans chapter 5, and I, I want the audience, uh, we have a great TV audience here in the TV studio. I want you to look up all the text, please. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, what does it say? Grace abounded much more. Uh, in the King James Version, it said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And that to me seems uh, to be even a bit better. Grace is contrary to our natural instincts. And the Bible tells us, this is why the gospel is good news. The Bible tells us, wait for this, grace is greater than all of our sins. That's sort of amazing, isn't it? Grace is greater than all of our sins. I want to start with a definition of terms. Grace. The dictionary says, the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. Since I've come to uh, use an iPad, because I'm quite illiterate in these areas, I can now go online and look at things like Wikipedia. <laughs> and Wikipedia says about grace, the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it. Oh, goodness. Doesn't seem right because God desires us to have it. Not necessarily because of anything we've done to earn it. So the Bible teaches that grace is something that God gives us because we don't deserve it. It is simply, as the old saying says, it's totally unmerited. Now the word prodigal, here's the next term. Now we've got grace worked out. Now the prodigal. Prodigal means Wastefully or recklessly extravagant, prodigious giving. He's a prodigal, wasteful, reckless, giving or yielding profusely, lavish. <laughs> uh, the very opposite of Scrooge. You've all seen uh, Christmas Carol by the British author Dickens. The very opposite of Scrooge. Lavishly abundant, wastefully extravagant. It's, it's quite extraordinary because it goes against everything we've been taught. 
I want to give you an illustration of grace. It's found in Matthew 26, verses 6 to 8. Matthew 26 and verses 6 to 8. It says, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, very costly, fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why why this waste? Why this waste? Now, this woman, we believe, was Mary. And she brought to Jesus about a pound of spikenard. It's worth about a year's wages, the Bible says. So if you don't live in California, but if you live somewhere else, uh, it's, it's about 50,000. But in California, it's 100,000. That's true, isn't it? Try buying a house here. And so she, she's got this stuff, it's called spikenard. You know where it comes from? It comes from India. From the foothills of the Himalayas. And she's got less than a pound of this stuff and it is, it is so extravagant. What a gift. A woman gives to the Lord some perfume and it's worth more than a year's wages. And uh, she has to break the alabaster vase. You know what the alabaster vase really represents? She never saw it completely. She saw a bit of it. The alabaster vase represents uh, the broken body of Christ. When the body of Christ is broken, the perfume of the gospel goes around the world. There's too much of it, the disciples said. Why this waste? Only only a few people are going to accept this gift. And so they say, uh, it's too much. Why this waste? This woman was a prodigious giver. She was a prodigal, but she's not one of the prodigals in today's talk. Uh, Jesus loved her very much. He not only loved her, but he liked her because she was so generous. Judas and the disciples didn't get it because they did not understand uh, the grace of God. Uh, They were very, very frugal in their giving. And grace, you know, must be supernaturally revealed. So I know this is hard to get into one's mind, but let me say this to the television audience around the world, especially across North America, the television studio here in Moore Park, Southern California. All this business about grace, uh, it's a little difficult. It really is. Because you can hear about the gospel a million times and be a leader of the church. You can sit in church every week. You can be a pastor. You can be the president of the church and not get it. The Apostle Paul never got it until he had a supernatural revelation from the throne of God. You hear what I'm saying? So this 
grace is so special that God has to reveal it to us by a miraculous act of intervention. It's an intervention. And all of a sudden, for the first time in our lives, we religious people wake up and we discover grace. Now we come to the heart of the message. Grace abounding, that was the first part, just the introduction. Now we come to grace abounding and the three prodigals. I want you to come over here to Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 15, which is a magnificent and wonderful chapter in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors, these are all the bad people, and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees, the religious people, the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I want to talk about this a little bit because here you've got two classes of sinners. Uh, One group knew they were sinners. The other group thought they were great people. Two classes of sinners. The tax collectors. They're open sinners. Everybody knows who they are. Their sin is apparent to the world. They are um, conspicuous sinners. People like Mary Magdalene. People on Hollywood Boulevard. (laughs) Working the streets. The sinners. Then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees came to him. Now, Who are the Pharisees? Get ready for a revelation. The Pharisees were the most pious people in the world. If we were looking for people to turn into ministers and invite into our churches, we would look to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were not just ordinary people, the Pharisees were the elite of the elite. They were the very, very best. The Pharisees, pious, looking good people, outwardly righteous, inwardly rotten, but didn't know it. So you've got two classes here that Jesus is introduced to, Pharisees and the sinners, the churched and the non-churched, the washed and the great unwashed, respectable sinners and disrespectable sinners. Now, most of us are aware of disrespectable sinners. But these Pharisees, the best of the best, were respectable sinners. Some would have called them the conservatives and the liberals. The frozen chosen. Many are called and few are frozen. Frozen chosen and the Hollywood elites. The reckless rebels. Now who were the Pharisees? They were the best of the best. They were God's defenders, the keepers of the holy law. They were strict Sabbath keepers. And they were looking forward to the coming of Christ. 
They believed in the coming of Messiah. We're not talking about modern day people. We're talking about people back here. They were Sabbath keepers. You say, no, 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 I'm sorry. They had over a thousand laws about keeping the Sabbath. You could do this, then you could do this, but you couldn't do this or else you were damned. Over a thousand laws. They paid tithes even on herbs. I'm a believer in tithe paying. I've been a tithe payer for 50 or 60 years. I believe in tithing. It is taught in the Bible. These people were punctilious in their religious duties and they paid tithe even on herbs. That took a bit of doing. They were eaters of clean foods. They looked down their noses on people who were not eating the right stuff. They had lots of washing ceremonies. They were the orthodox of the orthodox. They were perfectionists. They believed in human perfection that a person, by keeping the law of God with the help of God, would eventually become perfect. And they tied in their perfection. Do you know this? Let me tell it to you. They tied in their perfectionism with the coming of the Messiah. You didn't know this? They believed that if all Israel would keep the law of God for one day and they were a perfect community, Messiah would come. Nobody today would hold such an outrageous idea. They were Bible readers. Jesus said, you search the scriptures. They've been called moral icebergs. They said long prayers. They said long prayers in the synagogue or in the church. You know why? So people would say, boy, what a pious person. So everything they did, they did for a show. Jesus said, you do it to be seen by men. And some would say, they're not dead. They were defenders of their nation and their religion. They were ultra-nationalists. They were upholders of tradition. So they're the best of the best, the leaders of the church, the elite of the spiritual elite, 6,000 in number. And they were harsh, cold, critical, confident, and aggressive. And always out to see what you are doing and to point the finger at you and to accuse you. But no sense at all of their own inner corruption and their own moral filth. But they went around from place to place with their notebook, taking notes on the performance of their brothers and their sisters, and then they would hurl that into their faces for the glory of God. And they believed that above all other people, they were the holy remnant. The word remnant is a good word. It means 
that which is remaining. It is used in Holy Scripture to describe God's true people, especially in the last days. And the Pharisees believed, uh, with the Essenes, of course, that they were living in the last days. They were an apocalyptic society. And they believed that the Messiah would come when all Israel kept the law of God perfectly. Don't condemn them. They were the best of the best. And they ended up nailing God to the cross. Would you come over here to John chapter 11 and verse 45 and onwards? And remember, this must be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit or else we will be Pharisees. John 11 and verse 45 to 48. Then many of the Jews who'd come to Mary had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. Jesus had just raised a man from the grave. Can you believe this? Jesus had raised a man from the grave. Did this send them to their knees? No. It sent them into a holy huddle to crucify him, to get rid of him. Can you believe this? This is Pharisaism at its worst. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees. These were the people who were the informers. They were always informers and told them the things Jesus did. Hey, he's raised a man from the dead. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Goodness me. Here Jesus has raised a man from the dead, and they say, if we let this man go on, the Romans are going to come, and they're going to destroy the remnant. Their motives were wonderful. Not corrupted, their motives were magnificent. But they had it all mixed up. They were the devil's henchmen. The Pharisees thought they were contaminated by mixing with sinners. Now they were great fornicators. They didn't like mixing with Mary unless they were trying to sleep with her. And notice the, and, and these were the people who became Christ's greatest enemies. The, can you understand this? The people who were the upholders of the law became the greatest enemies of God. You see, they didn't, didn't have this revelation. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to you is to sit in church under a powerful preacher week after week, either you will come to know God and be saved or else you'll commit the unpardonable sin. And that's what these people were doing. Who were the people who loved him? The worldly crowd came to hear Jesus because he was refreshingly different. 
he was warm and welcoming, not cold and austere. Think of his inner circle who made up his church. No clergymen, <laughs> no theologians, but Mary Magdalene, an ex-prostitute, a tax collector that nobody liked then or now, fishermen, one politician who was called a zealot, a motley crew, not your typical crowd who make up a religious hierarchy. But these were the people who loved him. And they made up his church. Jesus was not religious as we think of the word religious. He was not contaminated by sinners. He mixed with sinners to save them. He didn't like what they did, but he liked who they were. Because they were souls made in the image of God. Never put down anybody. The worldly crowd, the unchurched, came to hear Jesus because they felt the warmth. The San Francisco folks. <laughs> oh, they're terrible liberals, we say. They were the ones who came. Jesus never said one word of condemnation. Hey, why didn't he? He was out to save them. The people from Las Vegas and Pasadena. They loved him because he wasn't churchy and he wasn't cold and he wasn't austere and he wasn't religious. Luke 15 and verse 2. Luke 15 and verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. On every other occasion when the Pharisees had attacked him, Jesus proved they were wrong. Except on this occasion, when Jesus said, you're absolutely correct, I plead guilty. This man does receive sinners. And that's grace. And you and I better be glad about that because we're sinners. And now he gives three stories. The first one is the lost Sheep, Luke 15, 3 to 7. Luke 15, 3 to 7. So he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he leaves one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, what is Jesus talking about here in the context of this man receiving sinners? Here is a lost sheep. And it's lost because of its own fault. Can't blame anybody else. It wanders away. It's to blame. And so the shepherd, who was Christ, leaves the security of home and searches 
up town, up mountain town dale. In the cold and in the blazing sun, and in the end he finds the little lost sheep, and when he finds it, he doesn't kick it. He kisses it. That's how God feels about lost souls. And then he picks up the little lost sheep and he holds it close to his heart and carries it home. And Jesus says this, as he's carrying it home, a party breaks out in heaven. <laughs> Does anybody hear this? The Pharisees didn't like parties because they didn't understand the gospel. But a party, a party starts in heaven and the Father is singing. Jesus said there's more joy there than these other people, the 99, who don't need to repent. What on earth is he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. They had a need to repent, but they didn't think. They did. <laughs> the 99 just persons, they're the Pharisees, the frozen chosen. But our Lord goes after the lost sheep. And I was in Russia. I talked to the people about this. I said, who are these people? These vast crowds of atheists cried out to me, we are, we are. I want you to know today this, that God really loves you. And if you're a lost sheep today, he's looking for you. And in a moment, I'll be back with the talk, the three prodigals. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. In this series, John Carter will provide the answers to life's most interesting questions. Seven great signs of the apocalypse. If the dead are unconscious, who are the beings that pretend to be the dead? Is there such a person as the devil? What is the essence of Antichrist? What is the root cause of this deadly malaise? America was founded by people who were opposed to the union of church and state. But if there's a God who loves us, then the future is bright with promise. For a gift of $100 US or 140 Australian, this 13 DVD series, Prophecy Speaks, will be yours. Call the number or visit our website. Time. It takes only a minute to have eternal life. How can you get saved in a minute? It's simple. First, believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Second, accept His free gift of eternal life. And then, you're saved. It's not hard. It doesn't take any time. You can be saved in a minute right now. Pray with me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. I accept that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for me. I ask Jesus into my heart. 
If you prayed this prayer, you are saved. The next thing to do is tell someone, fellowship with other followers of Jesus, get baptized, read your Bible and pray. Choices, we make them every day, all day. The most important choice you will make in your life is whether to choose eternal life or let it pass you by. If you'd like more information about your new life, call the number and visit our website. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.